in a place where there is no spiritual abuse, you should be able to show up as your full self, who you authentically are without anyone trying to change you or tell you you're wrong or judge you and say, well, now you've been coming for a month now. So now you should be looking a little different. You should be exactly who you are fully and not feel any condemnation or shame. This is Sanctified, the Littest Church service where hot girls and holiness align. And we are your hosts. I'm Deborah Joy Winans. I'm a wife, a mother, an actor, but most importantly, I'm a lover. And I'm LaVon Briggs, Emmy Award winner, Joy Chaser, and a Queens girl. And when my old church asked me to wear stockings, I bought fishnets. And this is the kind of church that rocks with the Megan the Stallions just as much as the Mahalia Jacksons. On Sanctified, we center the testimonies of sisters who are figuring out their faith authentically. And we're going to ruffle some of the saints' feathers, y'all. But we will always leave you feeling affirmed and loved. You ready, LaVon? Let's go get them. Welcome back to another episode of Sanctified Podcast. I am your host, LaVon Briggs and Deborah Joy Winans. And today we're talking about breaking free of and healing from spiritually abusive spaces. Content warning. (laughs) It's getting thick up in here, y'all. Yeah. So what is spiritual abuse? Great question. Spiritual abuse is any attempt to exert power and control over someone using religion, faith, or beliefs. Spiritual abuse can happen within a religious organization or a personal relationship. Mm. It is not limited to one religion, denomination, or group of people. That's so interesting to me that spiritual abuse can happen inside of the church and outside of the church. That means spiritual abuse can happen at home, at work, at school. Mm -hmm. But It's because spiritually abusive people are everywhere. (laughs) People are everywhere, right? And what they tend to do is prey upon people's desire to belong, right? We are divinely designed to want to be in community, Mm -hmm. but sometimes the seas of life overwhelm us and leave us feeling unworthy or really hurt. And if someone comes along and they see that, they can manipulate us sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think a way of wondering if you find yourself in a spiritually abusive place, whether it be at home or at work or at church, I think what you can ask yourself is, why do I feel worse about myself now than I did before I got here? Before I came into the sanctuary, I felt pretty good, but now I feel terrible. That should not be. I think that's a sign of spiritual abuse. Right. If I feel worse about my inner me before I got here, then something about this situation is not right. Mm-hmm. Something is off and it ain't me. <laughs> so we need to <laughs> reconcile this. But you know, we live in the 21st century, DJ, and this makes me think about spiritual abuse online, right? Think about like social media or how we're having all of these virtual gatherings on like Zoom and Google Hangouts. Like it can happen online too. So we really got to protect ourselves and be mindful, but also really do the work to interrogate where is this sense of unworthiness coming from? When did I first feel it? And how can I address it and heal it holistically? Because ultimately, 
in a healthy community, you are nurtured, not controlled. You can say that again. In a healthy community. <laughs> say it with your chest. <laughs> say it with your breasts. You are nurtured, beloved ones, not controlled. Mm-hmm. So if you're feeling controlled, if you're feeling like you can't make your own decisions or you're making choices based on a decision-making process that isn't yours and they're throwing a religious filter on top of it, that definitely is something that you want to interrogate. Red flags could be your individuality is not allowed, right? Think of spiritual spaces where people say, yes, come as you are. But if you keep coming pretty soon, they won't want you to be like us. <laughs> and there's this othering that happens where it's now that you're a part of us, you have to be like us, look like us, talk like us, think like us. Otherwise, you're a part of them. And if you're over there, that's evil. But if you're here, oh, this is good and heavenly, right? That like us versus them mentality is a huge red flag. Absolutely. And the fact that if you're here, then you should be obedient to here, to all of the church leadership here. I should be obedient to every leader here and what y'all say and do over my life. Are you God? Mm. So if there is this super hyper focus on this total submission to whatever the church leaders are telling you without a question, without still having your individuality, you're stripped of your ability to just trust the God in you and you just got to trust what they say. Mm-mm. That's a red flag. And you know, I don't trust spaces where I can't ask questions. The whole reason why I went to seminary is because I was going to a church, Holiness Pentecostal Church of Christ in North Jersey, child. And I remember having a question about this scripture. And I was like, well, who wrote this? And they were like, well, the Bible says that all scripture is, you know, given by God. And I was like, okay, okay. I know what the verse says, but I'm like, who wrote it? Like, where were they when they were writing this? Like, I had all these questions about the Bible and it was like, well, we don't question God or God's word. And I'm like, I'm not questioning God. I just really want to learn. And so being in spaces where one, questions are welcome and two, leadership not always having the answer. I respect that. I respect people who say, I don't know. I don't know is a valid answer. I respect people who say, let me look into that and get back to you. And for some reason, (laughs) there are a lot of, probably because of wanting to appear powerful and like know-it-alls and like closer to God than you are, that they just always are like, this is how it is. This is how I say it is. And don't ask any questions. Red flag. There is room to say, I don't know. I remember my husband asking me, how much of life do you think is black and white versus how much is gray? And initially I said, I mean, (laughs) gotta be like 90% of life is black and white. Like, what are you talking about? There are wrong things and there are right things. That's it. Very little is gray. And he was like, actually, very little is black and white. There are always answers that you don't know about. There's always room to grow somewhere, to recognize that this is a perspective or a opinion and not the fact. And That to me blew my mind. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? I think you might be right. I love what your husband said about everything is not black and white because this either or mentality, us versus them, those are binaries. And binaries are a byproduct of colonization. 
everything that is wrong with religion can be seen in colonizers who are patriarchal, who are sexist, who are anti-Black, to the point where the abusive nature of colonizers was superimposed onto God's nature, to the point where now we think we're supposed to respect abusive people in and out of the pulpit because we're taught that God is abusive. How many times have people said things like, oh, you got to live right or God's going to get you. You don't want to go to hell, like fear mongering, basically, and using scare tactics when God is a God of love and tenderness and compassion, not punishment. Absolutely. But if they can create that fear in you, then they create this dependency Mm. on them that you have to have to Make sure you feel like you're going to get to heaven. Make sure you feel like you live in the right life and that God is going to be pleased with you. That's that's a whole abusive cycle. Mm-hmm. It makes me think about, and this is a content warning for domestic violence. So if you need to tap out and tap back in, do that. But how sometimes abusers will love bomb you and shower you with gifts and compliments and dates. And then all of a sudden they're harmful. They might put their hands on you or verbally abuse you. And then they apologize and they give gifts and it's like, oh, you know, I'm sorry, babe, I won't do it again. And so you just get caught up in it. because Why? Because we desire love. And many of us were taught that love and abuse can coexist. But Bell Hooks, shout out to All About Love, New Visions, would tell us that love and abuse cannot coexist, even if it's in the church, Mm -hmm. especially in the church. Amen, amen, and amen. And so one of the ways that I've seen the expression of love and giftedness in the community is when my church in Atlanta, Rise Community Church, they were having a series of break-ins at the physical location. And the leadership noticed that the only thing really missing were paper goods, like paper towels, toilet tissues, stuff like that. So clearly the church located in this low-income neighborhood needed to meet the needs of the people around them so that we could, you know, stop the break-in. So what leadership ended up doing was walking through the neighborhood door-to-door, handing out paper goods to just be like, hey, we (laughs) are noticing that there is a need Let us help to meet the need because you cannot minister for people spiritually if you don't minister to them physically first. That is so good. People do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. Period. If God has blessed you to meet the need of somebody physically, they've been praying, they've been looking, and you are the answer of the prayer. That's so good. So be the answer. Because a green flag in a spiritual community is to meet the needs of people without expecting anything in return, right? It's not like the leadership went out and was like, okay, here's some paper towels, come to church Sunday at 2.30. It was just like, God bless you. Right. <laughs> we see you, we love you, you know? So that manipulation tactic where it's like, oh yeah, we'll pay your rent, come to church. We'll help with your kid's tuition, buy our books. Like, wait, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and that doesn't leave room for you to show up as your full self. Right. And you should be able to, in a place where there is no spiritual abuse, you should be able to show up as your full self, who you authentically are without anyone trying to change you or tell you you're wrong or judge you and say, well, now you've been coming for a month now. So now you should be looking a little different. 
You should be exactly who you are fully and not feel any condemnation or shame. I mean, I felt pressure when I started going to like Pentecostal and holiness churches because I was raised in the Episcopal church. So I would dress up because I'm first generation Caribbean American. That's just what you do for church, right? But when I started going to Pentecostal churches, I would see women and girls in these denim skirts. <laughs> and I was like, where, where y'all getting these denim skirts from? Like, what? Did I miss the sale? Was there a sample sale? Like, what happened? And sure enough, over time, I started procuring more denim skirts in my wardrobe because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Wow. Look, a holiness Pentecostal, you're going to have a denim skirt, you're going to have slits, you're going to have some pantyhose, some tights, you're going to have it all. A head covering. Oh, God, somebody is triggered. <laughs> Not the doilies. A yes, doily. doilies. <laughs> yes, that's what you're going to have. That's what you're going to have. And so what's so exciting, our testifier today, she is going to give you the real, real. And how you cannot allow people to change who you are because God made you specifically who you are for a reason for this time. Mm -hmm. And it is a beautiful making today. Helen Bird, who is a former member of Remnant Fellowship Church in Brentwood, Tennessee, suffered incomprehensible spiritual abuse and she made it out on the other side, y'all. You may have heard pieces of Helen's story, which were featured in the HBO documentary, The Way Down, God, Greed, and the Cult of Gwen Shamblin. But today, we get to hear Helen's full testimony of surviving, healing from, and thriving after spiritual abuse. Let's hear from Helen. My name is Helen Bird, and this is my testimony. I grew up in the Catholic Church, and I didn't enjoy anything about it. And I went to several other churches as I got older. The faith traditions that I've explored, charismatic Christian, Jew, Pentecostal, Baptist, Methodist, holiness, Buddhist, okay, and Islam. Oh, did I say Jehovah's Witness? Okay, there you go. I guess the central theme is me looking for love in all the wrong places. I became a member of Remnant Fellowship in 2008, left shortly, and returned in 2009. It was based on a weight loss ministry. The leader of the church was a dietitian, and she used a lot of starvation-type practices as the foundation for her weight loss ministry, and she based it on biblical teachings, you know, to justify really the horrible practices. I felt when I first started to attend Remnant, that I found what I was looking for, a community of people who were going after the same goal, a surrendered relationship with God. I became a new person. I feel as though I broke free from the pull of anger. My brothers used to call me Evil Ed. Like that's to tell you how angry I was, but I was set free from that. I had my last child in 2011, and I had gained a bunch of weight and I lost it all within about 21 days postpartum. I was getting it. I was putting all of Gwen Shamlin's weight loss practices into place and I felt abundantly blessed. I introduced my newborn to my father. Three weeks later, my father died. I was unable to go to his funeral because I was in ICU and had to have emergency surgery 
for a ruptured gallbladder. So the way that things change for me with Remnant is that I'm still a relatively new Christian and I am coming to my leadership and I'm asking for help because I have a conflict of faith. How could a loving God, you know, take my father who I just basically reconciled and I was mocked. I was told Helen's being tested. You really can't show any emotion other than just happy and joyful. You're not allowed to be sad. You're not allowed to process grief. And so I isolated because I didn't want to be ostracized or bring shame on my family or anything else like that. I decided to leave Remnant when the leadership of the church got behind Donald Trump. Another thing was they really were trying to control my aesthetic. I had one person say, why am I growing my hair out naturally? It looks nappy. And then the final straw was I had on a wig that had like a purple hue to it. And they had a leader that was on my time like for four weeks about, you know, it looks unnatural and you should take a Facebook picture down as showing you with this purple hair. My reply to her was, I want all the unnatural blondes to go on back. I don't care if it's gray. Uh, everybody that had their little plastic surgery, they had the breast lifts, go on deflate them. You have to go back, factory reset. If you got something to say about me, you better make sure that you're applying it across the board. I'm not going to let them control my look. I'm not going to let them control my life. I'm not going to let them control who I am as a, a woman of faith and much less as a black woman. That's not what we're going to do. The way that I communicate with God now is with an understanding that he made me. And so I am not ashamed that I am a, a seeker. I am not ashamed that I am walking this out and I'm still making mistakes. Because I know that in the end of the day, God is the one that will perfect me. God is the one who will judge me. And God is the one who will heal me from all of the wounds and bumps and bruises and scrapes that I've had through this walk. My name is Helen Bird, and that is my testimony. Ooh, what a testimony. Mm-mm-mm. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're about to fellowship with Helen Bird. Bird. Hi, Helen. Hello. So you mentioned in your testimony that you had dealt with deep anger prior to joining Remnant Fellowship. Can you talk to us a bit? What was the root of that anger? And the second part of that is how did Remnant seem to free you from that? The root was a sense of entitlement. Like to have a better life than what Jesus Christ actually experienced on earth. You know what I mean? Mm, mm-hmm. How Remnant freed me from that is just by examining the life of Christ, the life that he led and the cross that he bared really from birth. And so it, it helped to shape my understanding and build a heart of gratitude. There were many things in Remnant that challenged my perception or concept of what Christianity is. I was raised primarily Catholic, but I've dabbled in a lot of religions, you know, really trying to find that closeness and that oneness with God. And so Remnant 
did help me in many ways to understand that it is a one-to-one relationship and that, you know, it is not obligatory, that it is a relationship that is for love and respect and in honoring God. Wow. Yeah. So then looking back, do you feel like while they challenged you in a way that was very helpful in your walk with God, do you think that some of the tactics they use maybe harmed you in other ways? Yes. I definitely feel that some of the teachings were absolutely beneficial. It grew my relationship with God at a quantum leap. But what was harmful was that these are still people and people are corruptible. People can be hypocritical. And if you look at the documentary, a lot of ex-members said it, it went from a place that truly was about God and serving God and his people to like some hot potato mess, man. So that is the upsetting part is that I felt that what they intended for good spawned this evil place where people are taking pictures of you when your back is turned so that they can report you for dumb stuff. Mm. You couldn't even have a conversation with someone without them looking you up and down. They would just examine you. You couldn't have a conversation. It was so obvious, you know, that they were body checking you. Wow. That made me self-conscious, you know, I would dread going to church and I would ask my husband every time, do I look fat or do I look like I've gained weight? Am I okay? And so it bred this insecurity Mm. in me where I wasn't previously insecure because I had no idea that according to them, I'm fat. I had no idea I was fat. I'm a thick sister. I'm tall, you know, and I'm built like my mom and my daddy. My daddy is six, five. As I started to just sort of come walk through that, I just literally was like, you can absolutely miss me with this, you know, I'm about to be a skinny bobblehead Barbie doll image. You are not built like me. Mm-hmm. Mesomorphically, we ain't the same. Your bone gonna crack for mine's do. You know, I just really started taking ownership of my body, my aesthetic. If you didn't like it, you won't have to show me where it is in the Bible that God don't like it. Let me tell you, you laid it down. That was so amazing. Mm -hmm. But I want to know, how long did it take before you started seeing this sort of derogatory looking you up and down and taking pictures and judgmental sort of activity? So when I came in, I had two different time spans with Remnant. First in 2008, I left briefly and I came back in 2009. So when I came back, you know, I was, I still was my regular size. I was probably like a 12, 14. And I don't think I really perceived that people were kind of looking me up and down. If I've lost some weight, I would get the offhand remark, oh, you're looking good. You're doing good. And so that kind of sat in the back of my mind. What I will say is this, I got married August 11th, 2010, and I had lost weight for, of course, the wedding. I got pregnant five weeks later, very country. (laughs) But after I had my baby, I actually lost so much weight that my wedding dress didn't fit. And so that was the height of the praise because I was like a size eight. 
I hadn't been a size eight in a very, very long time. And I noticed that my profile raised, if you will. I was invited to different things and it was very surreal. Fast forward to about three months after that, my dad died tragically, like really unexpectedly, but expectedly. And so I was in a state of mourning. And, you know, if you've watched the documentary, you that's the one thing you're not allowed to do. You can't feel grief. They mocked me. I lost my father. We had just really become well or, or reunited, if you will, because we were estranged. So I started to slowly gain weight. And that's when I noticed like, and it wasn't even no hell of weight. That's the thing. I started noticing the look up and look down and stuff like that. And I was just like, that's odd, you know? Well, here's the thing, Helen, right? First of all, there's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. So the idea that people of faith are not supposed to be angry or lament, it's a lie. It's a lie, right? And the way that grief shows up in our bodies, God designed our bodies to process. We have tear ducts, right? If we have vocal cords that are functioning, we can yell, we can cry. And so it is so fascinating to me that a whole entire culture would build itself on keeping your body as small as possible, which also seems to be about like shrinking your spirit <laughs> like as much as possible. So now that you've lived through this experience, right, you're on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. How do you, using the experience that you had with Remnant, how do you vet faith spaces now? I realize now that because I'm seeking that I am particularly susceptible because I'm looking for something. And a lot of times it looks like, you know, the church looks like something that I would join or or I would need to join. So because I am pretty much two-time loser <laughs> here, I'm a winner, I'm a survivor. So I am deathly afraid of church. It's the saddest thing because, you know, my baby is 11 years old and she begs me to go to church. And I am so afraid that I'm going to put my kids and my husband back through a situation that we have to back out of because of my drive and my desire. I am working through understanding redemption and understanding that I'm redeemed so that I'm not lured into these work-based faiths. You know what I mean? So it's been difficult for me to make that leap so that I can stop putting myself in the same situation. And really that's, if you look at my history with religion, that's really what it's been. I've been chasing just sort of this framework and this system when really it should be about relationship and it should be about grace and understanding and forgiveness and learning and getting better. So here's the thing, Helen. Spiritually abusive spaces do not like questions. They do not like inquisitive people. And those in power will do everything that they can to silence you, right? And Alice Walker once said, no person is your friend who demands your silence or denies your right to grow. There's a part of you that's escaping, like to use your language, derogatory teachings and things that are harmful. But there's also a part of you that's leaving friendship and community and that's loss. And that's something that's worth grieving as well. 
So what was your emotional state like during your departure? How did you grieve the losses of the things that were, quote unquote, good? It was more of a loss for my family and the connections that they built. I am very much small circle. I'm a very amiable person. I'm a very, you know, outgoing person. But people that I call friends, that's a real small circle. My thought is, I'm not going to have you to leave a way of life or take my side in a situation. I'm going to say it one time. If you decide that this is where you want to be, then you have chosen your side. And I'm okay with you being an adult and choosing your side. So as far as me missing the fellowship and everything else like that, towards the end of my stay there, everything felt forced. Like I literally was going to church out of obligation because if you didn't show up at church, they'd be like, well, I noticed you missed two Sabbaths in a row. Is you out here taking attendance? Mm -hmm. You know, like don't clock my moves. You know, it was really out of obligation and I was already tired and I figured out that they were twisting and perverting the word of God and that they were allowing white folks to really like lean in on this Trump stuff. So it was no longer we had equality as brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ. It, it was they had free will and free reign to talk to us about the, the great man that Trump is and they can't wait for him to be president and ignore the misogyny, ignore the racism, ignore just all of the ungodly, unchristian, uncouth things about the turd. In the beginning of the HBO documentary, The Way Down, which tells the story of the rise and fall of Gwen Shamblin and Remnant Fellowship Church, where basically a whole theology was built around the idea that the thinner you are, the more pleasing you are to God. That's a lot, right? And obviously it was a predominantly white, spiritually abusive space. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Black folk has something to say about you getting caught up with all these white folks. So what has the response been to you from the Black community, especially in terms of viewing the documentary? And what is your response to the Black community? Okay. First of all, people, I love you. You can tell by the way that I talk that I'm really 100% officially Black. <laughs> My desire was for God and for relationship. And I really wasn't looking at color because... Black people and white people have their good and bad points, period. I wasn't looking for a social community. That's not what I needed. I needed a spiritual community. I needed like-minded people. And if you want to know how I fell into it with, you know, some evangelicals, that they were not always like this. They were a kind servants. And everyone had, you know, at least I thought on the outside superficially, everyone had the same desire. And that was to build a legacy and a heritage for our families so that we know that, you know, when we close our eyes, that they're on the right path. The next thing that I would do is say that I was raised Catholic. And so I'm pretty accustomed to going to church with white folks. I lived in California for most of my life, so I am accustomed to several different religions or, or several different faith practices. So it wasn't alarming to me to be around white folks. It wasn't alarming to have to interact with them in a spiritual space. But I do understand, because I was raised in New Orleans, I do understand the concept 
of church being a safe haven for our community. I understand that concept. I was, you know, I lived steps away from Treme. So I understand that this was the place, the one sacred place that we had to be community and to be ourselves. But what I would challenge people with is that not everybody comes to God in that way. There are some people that come to God from no religious background, but however you get to God, praise God mm-hmm. for, you know, you just opening your heart and, and seeking that relationship. So lay off of me. Yes. <laughs> I love you in Christ. Amen. And stop playing games. <laughs> Helen, this has really been eye opening. You're so real. And I can appreciate that on so many different levels. I think my last question is because I feel like you're still in the middle of it. What is your healing process? So the one thing that I can say is that no matter how tested the relationship has been, God is sovereign. God is loving. God, even when I'm raging against him and just upset, God is gracious and merciful and always working in my favor, always. What healing has looked like to me was number one, to have this as a testimony and for me to realize that it's my particular proclivities and propensities and that I can't attribute that to God. And I'm not saying by any means that I hold remnant faultless. No, they did some really down dirty dog stuff. But at the end of the day, you have to be careful of what you're seeking and be clear about what you're seeking. And you have to be patient and be still. I'm learning that instead of running ahead of the spirit of God, that I am moving with the spirit of God. And so even though I'm terrified of church, and I mean that sincerely, like uh, I'm scared. No more big collection plates and nothing else like that. Pastors fun, pastors. I'm terrified. But as I am moving through this walk and this season of healing, I am not in a rush for anything. I'm going to God in prayer, asking him to, you know, heal my heart. I'm asking him to heal the hearts of my family because this is bigger than just me and my immediate family. Me attending this church definitely alienated and ostracized my immediate family, and it really strained relationships. So this is a lot bigger than just me. But as I'm walking through this season of healing, I am trusting God, and I am humble, and I am learning. And so what it's looking like for me is a very slow process. It's reflection. Wow. Helen Bird, you have been through a lot and you still believe strongly in the power of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. We appreciate your time. This has been absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and sharing time and space with us, Helen. It's been wonderful. I feel that even the more that I'm able to kind of speak to what life is like after, maybe someone out there will benefit and just know that it's always darkest before the dawn. That's like a real thing. And that let's just walk in the light. 
I have to forgive myself, but I got to forgive them too. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, I can receive forgiveness and I can move on and process. Amen. Come on, process. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You're worthy, beloved. Oh, that is so sweet. Mm -mm -mm. We are so grateful to Helen for being so open about her journey. People about to get free free, okay? (laughs) Coming up next, you know how we do it on Sanctified. We're bringing the offering for you, our listeners. It's time for the offering. Y'all, this is legit one of my favorite times of the show, but we do it a little differently here. You don't have to worry about bringing anything. Offering time here at Sanctified is where we bring something affirming to offer to you. So my offering for this episode is that God is a God of consent, right? God never forces us to do anything. And if we are open and available to what God is saying to us and is doing in our lives, that's going to unfold in ways that feel good to us, in ways that make us feel safe, secure, nourished, and loved. So you got to find churches, find spaces, find faith communities that are going to speak this life and make sure you are able to ask questions. Make sure that you, as your individual lovely personhood is accepted in every single way. I love that. And you know, I also want to add that if you have experienced spiritual abuse, it was not something that had to happen to you to make you a better Christian, a better person, a better woman. It wasn't your fault and there's no need to beat yourself up for it. This is an opportunity to grow in grace in self-compassion and to get closer to God and to be open and discerning and allow people to show you that you can trust them and allow people with discernment to show up for you. And so even as you are looking for green flags, don't ignore the red flags, but also don't always wait for the other shoe to drop either because that's a trauma response. I love what Helen said in the end. She said to walk in the light. Mm -hmm. Walk in the light, the beautiful light. Come where the dew drops of mercy shine bright. Shine all around us by day and by night. Jesus, the light of the world. Yes. Walk in the light, y'all. Walk in the light, beloved ones. That's the show for today. So you can go in peace. I pray you go in peace. And I pray that you enjoyed this. I pray something was said that touches you, that builds you, that continues to have you on this journey of finding all of the greatness that God has put in you. You are wonderful. And LaVon, as you always say, you are worthy. 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 That was church here at Sanctified. So come on back next week and get sanctified with us again. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and let us know what you want us to talk about. Send us an email at sanctified at unbotherednetwork.com.
Sanctified is a Spotify original series produced in partnership with Jamel Hill's Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39. Hosted by Deborah Joy Winans and LaVon Briggs. From Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39, executive producers are Jamel Hill and Evan Dick. Head of content for Unbothered is Christina Tapper. Head of network operations is Rich Burner. Creative producer is Ashley J. Hobbs. From Spotify, executive producer is Christina Tapper. Creative executive is Grace Delia. Senior program manager is Jessica Dow. And program manager is Jenna Lonergan. Special thanks to all the cross-functional teams at Spotify that helped bring this program to life. This episode includes original music produced by Cheyenne G. New episodes of Sanctified come out every Wednesday, only on Spotify. So be sure to hit that follow button so you never miss an episode.